Welcome to Solutions from the Huddle, powered by Collaborative Solutions Group. We're discussing meaningful business and life topics to add motivation to your life and value to your efforts. Our show is hosted by certified professional CSG coaches who are often hired for private coaching, corporate training, and speaking engagements. Now, enjoy the show. This is Solutions from the Huddle, and I am your host, Titus Bartolotta. Man, we have another awesome show, and, and, and I'm so excited to get to today's guest because, you, you know, like I read the bios of all the people that come on the program, and if the bio is not good, like we don't actually book them, like, if, right? Like, sorry, but if, but if it doesn't cut mustard, we don't let them on the show. But, but then when it's a certain bio and it talks about some of the things that are super important to me, then I'm like excited as a host to be able to take notes just like you guys. So we have another really excellent thought leader on the program today, uh, a new best friend of the show, and I'm really excited to introduce him. Uh, if you've never tuned into Solutions from the Huddle before, thanks for giving us a shot. I mean, we're really excited that personal development and professional growth is something that you're excited about. If you're a regular um, subscriber and you just keep tuning in, I promise we won't disappoint today. It's going to be uh, it's going to be world class. I, I, I could feel it. Uh, we we also start every show the same way, and that's in prayer. And so we'll do that this time too. So so Lord, we just ask that you bless the show and our guests and our sponsors and the folks that are going to hear it, and just let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be uh, acceptable in your sight. Amen. Uh, friends, today we have uh, Michael. I think it's Levette. He's going to correct me if I say that wrong, but but we have Michael on the program today, and and he's the founder um, and chief burnout officer for the Breakfast Leadership Network. Okay, this is really cool stuff, and I'm excited for him to talk about it. But uh, a certified NLP and CBT therapist, a Fortune 500 consultant, uh, he's an author of a new book uh, that, that's called Burnout Proof. And and I want Michael to talk us talk to us about all of the stuff in this new book. But starting off with, man, where where'd you come from? And tell us the journey. Like, how do you get to the place where you're a published author, a speaker, a coach, a leadership expert? Tell us the journey, Michael. Welcome to the program. Thanks so much. Looking forward to this. Uh, I, I guess I could blame my first job as a grocery store clerk, but that's really <laughs> not how I ended up to be a public speaker and author and all, all the things that you had mentioned. And I, I go, no wonder I don't have any hair. It's like, you know, this, um, all this stuff that I'm doing. No kidding. Uh, but, you know, it, it's funny. Uh, the path that I'm on today, if you would have gone back in time, let's say 15 years ago and said, okay, this is what you're going to be doing in 2021. I would have looked at you going, how in the world am I going to be able to do all of that? And why would I do that? That's not anything that I have any interest in doing, but life circumstances uh, forces things and creates opportunities. And I had my own burnout journey that was pretty significant and catastrophic, quite frankly. And it gave me an opportunity to pivot in life and really take stock in what I do in my life and what's important to me. And after doing the self-discovery and reinvention and all the things that I went through, I realized, hmm, I'm not the only person in the world that's dealing with this. Mm. Okay, what should I do about this? Because I should do something. I can't stand on the sidelines. I need to get in the game. And yeah. that's what I did. And Went down the path of being an entrepreneur and launching a business and starting to talk to people about burnout and burnout prevention, and then launched a podcast and started writing books and started speaking. And next thing you know, I'm like, okay, wow, I've, I've made myself a business here. How'd that happen? So it's been a really wild journey so far. 
Yeah, man. Thank you so much for, I'm excited that that journey brings you to our program because I always encourage our listeners, like the beauty of the podcast is that I can hit pause and rewind and go, wait a minute, what did he just say? <laughs> and I can re-listen to it. I know that when I watch a movie five times, I catch stuff I missed the first two times. So we love this format. And I want our audience to really be able to take some notes um, and get some strategy uh, around this episode. I want them to share it and tell their friends, wait a minute, this Michael dude, <laughs> this guy had some stuff that was worth listening to. And I know that through your burnout journey, I would imagine you learned a lot. What, what exactly did you go through in that burnout experience that probably uh, influenced who you are today, who I get to talk to, and probably a lot of what's in that book. Yeah. Back in 2007, uh, I was hired as a healthcare executive just outside of Windsor, Ontario, Canada. I'm originally from the Detroit area. I immigrated to Canada with my former wife in 2004 and became a citizen in 2011. And I like to joke that I can vote and screw up two countries, but that's where I stop. I never tell people who I vote for because half the people would be mad at me. So I just, um, we have more in common than we don't, but I, right. I leave it at that. But in this healthcare role, uh, I had startup experience in my career before because I was in IT and finance and all of that kind of good stuff. So I had a well-rounded career prior to taking on this role, but I had zero healthcare experience. So there was a lot of learning that I needed to do. And unfortunately, for a period of two years, um, I pretty much worked all day and all night from 6 a.m. to 11 p.m., pretty much seven days a week. Mm. Um, all, you know, Basically, the only people that can survive those types of hours tend to be college football coaches. And, but uh, for the, and you, know, you see those, it's like, you know, yeah, I slept on the couch. Well, that's why they have really comfortable couches in their offices. Cause that's a lot right. of times that's where they're sleeping. Um, yeah. Not, not suggesting that that's, that's not for the week. That's for sure. That's but right. this role, you know, I said, I, I wasn't taking care of myself. I was making mistakes at work. I stopped doing things in life. That I like doing because I was in Windsor, I was across the border from Detroit, and I was actually a season ticket holder for the Detroit Tigers at the time. And this is when Leland and the team were going to the World Series a lot and winning a lot of wow. games and all of that. And I had season tickets, and towards the end of that two year window, I quit going to the games because I wasn't motivated to go, which is uh, to this day, I'm still shocked that I quit going to the games because I love baseball. I love sports in general, but baseball was my first love and all because of a baseball card that I opened up in a pack of tops cards in 1979. And mm. it actually launched my first career in accounting because I was trying to figure out how in the world did they get the numbers on the back of the card. And mm. so it just interested me. You know, I wish I had the other talent on the front of being able to actually play the game well. And Come then on, it, yeah. yeah, now then maybe it would have been a different story for me, but yeah. you know, uh, it was so funny as too, as I'm left-handed, but I usually do everything with my right hand, throwing, batting and all that stuff. I can see the frustration in my dad's eyes going, why can't you throw with your left arm? <laughs> that was going to, that was going to be his retirement package. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm like, I, this thing, it, it's a useless appendage. I mean, I write with it and stuff, but other than that, this thing is like, it's just there for the ride, but uh. back to the healthcare thing. You know, I took a toll on my life because I wasn't eating well. I wasn't getting any activity. I was making mistakes at work and all this. And it all came to a crashing halt in May of 2009, where over a period of 369 days, so just over a year, the following happened to me. I had a heart attack that should have killed me. Mm. 17 weeks later, I lost my job during the Great Recession. 
Remember, I was across the border from Detroit. The auto sector was being bailed out by the government because they were about to die. Then I finally found a job um, after several months of being unemployed up in Toronto. And when you're unemployed for a long time, so you don't have insurance or things like that, and you've got bills and your income's lower, and you now have this $1,000 a month medicine bill for the heart medication Mm, that I had to take. You got to pick and choose your battles. You have to feed your family. You have to take this medication. Um, and that means you fall behind on your bills. And eventually the grace period from the bank had run out. And when I was up in Toronto for the first two or three weeks, uh, commuting back and forth until I was able to move the family up there, uh, got a phone call from my daughter. And she was 10 at the time. And after she stopped crying, I was able to get from her that the bank had come and repossessed our family vehicle because we couldn't make payments on it anymore. And then finally, we moved up to Toronto. And after unpacking, we realized, whoops, we left the bunk bed ladder back at our old house, which we were getting ready to list and put on the market. And so I was going back that area the next weekend, and I went to the house um, to grab the ladder and anything else we left behind. And I opened up the screen door. And I saw the largest padlock I've ever seen in my life. And there was a small sticker on the door that said foreclosure. So in a year, heart attack that should have killed me, job loss, car repossession, home foreclosure. All of that happened to me in a year. It was because I was burned out. My burnout created all of those scenarios. And it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. Because it gave me an opportunity, a second chance, quite frankly to take a look at my life and how I was living it and make some significant adjustments in my life to prevent that from ever happening again. I mean, what was going through your mind? Take me, uh, and thanks for being vulnerable and sharing, but take me through each of those steps. Um, Because I know that I can relate to some of that. I know that our audience can relate to portions of that. Maybe some folks can say, gosh, I mean, we live in such a diverse world. Somebody may say, I think I got all of that, right? But, mm-hmm. but what's the emotion for the folks that say, I can't relate to portions of that or, all, or any of it? Yeah. What's the emotions uh, on, on just step one, right? The heart attack happens. Did you know right away this should have killed me? Um, and, and, and like, but it didn't, or did it come later? Um, what was that process like from a health standpoint? Uh, well, I was in the hospital and unfortunately um, it was a, particularly busy weekend at the hospital when I went in because I went in on a Friday afternoon. And unfortunately, they couldn't do a scope to see what was going on until the following Tuesday. Mm. So I I knew that the emergency doctor said, yeah, it looks like you you had a heart attack, but we want to take a look and see. So they they finally got in and looked and they went, okay, you've got blockage, a couple of blockages. So what they ended up doing is the next day, Another cardiologist that was licensed to actually do and you know to put stents in those arteries to open them up uh, did the procedure on Wednesday. But before he did the procedure, he stopped in. He introduced himself and he said, "Hi, I'm Dr. Morsi." And I said, "Hello." And he looks at me and says, "You know, you should be dead right now." Mm. And I looked at him, and he said, "You had two blockages in your left interior descending artery. That's the widowmaker." When people have heart attacks with blockages in that artery, they don't tend to survive. Mm. And I looked at him. I said, 
I see you skipped bedside manner class in medical school. And he laughed and I laughed and we made light of it. And then he said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. We're going to go in and we're going to put two stents in there to open them up. um, And then you should be good to go. I was Mm. like, okay. So he did. But um, when he said that right there, my former wife and my mom were actually on my other, the other side of me in the room. And, you know, they both gasped. And I know in talking with uh, my ex later on, after they left out of the room and they both completely lost it because they heard some pretty traumatic news. For me, I was like, well, good thing I'm alive. And mm. after that, you know, I realized, okay. And, you know, a lot of times when people, have a health scare and then they get better. Sometimes that changes people. Sometimes it doesn't. And for me, and statistically speaking, people that have heart attacks, maybe one out of 10 will actually follow through the recommendations that their healthcare provider tells them to do to make the changes in their lives. I'm one of those 10. I'm not on heart medication anymore. Um, I take better care of myself. I eat better. You know, I take nutrients and things to keep me healthy. My heart is fine. Knock on wood. Uh, but for me, that was one of those things where up until the doctor said that, uh, I was like, Ooh, okay. Scary. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't really put a whole lot into it until, you know, until he met me and he, he talked to me about it. I'm like, okay, this yeah. was pretty significant. Well, I'm glad you're still with us, um, and and clearly you've been able to do so much over that period of time. What are some of the things? What are some of the practical tips and tricks um, that going through that foreclosure and going through that repossession and going through moving for for that matter? I mean, uh, if if I'm remembering, you went from Detroit to Toronto. That's also when you changed countries. As relative to, it's not like moving down the road ten minutes, right? That's a different kind of move. How did those experiences um, really start to kind of open your eyes as to here are some of the steps we we probably need to avoid or probably some mm-hmm. of the steps that we need to put action around? Yeah, there was a, in each of those setbacks, and and I sometimes I and I'm guilty of this. Sometimes I diminish how significant each of those things were because in many mm-hmm. cases, especially during this pandemic, I've seen a lot of people go through some of those things, and mm-hmm. it's. You know, I, I don't want to diminish any of them. They're huge. Um, I know they were huge in my life, but for me, I think you know, bottom line that what helped me was growing up where I did in Detroit. And Detroit has been knocked down many times and all that, but there's a symbol downtown, which is Joe Lewis's fist. And you know, a good boxing analogy, you get knocked down, or a Chinese proverb, you get knocked down, you get back up. And that's what I did. Every time one of those things happened to me, I'm like, I got up, dusted myself off, and I'm like, okay, what do I need to do to move on from this, fix this, repair this, whatever? And that's what helped me get through those things. But the, some of the things that came to light afterwards after the experience and starting a new job and you know rebuilding things was i had to take a look and see what was really important to me and what wasn't and a lot of times what happens is we as humans prioritize things because we think we should do this or we're supposed to do this or we're supposed to do that and maybe maybe not it really depends on what's important to you and 
too often because we're trying to do what other people want us to do or society expects us to do, that may not be what we want to do or yeah. want to do anymore. You know, what was my priorities back then are obviously completely different now because yeah. I don't I don't need the gigantic backyard. I don't need the expensive car payment. I don't need to be a pillar in my community to prove something for work, which means working crazy hours. No, I need to be a pillar in my own life. I have to take mm. care of me. Uh, who, do you, who do you spend the most time with in your life? You. Yeah. Okay. You, you, know, you may be married to somebody for you know, 60 years, something like that. Well, you know what? You weren't always married. You've always been with you and you have to take care of you first, because if you don't, who else is going to? Because only you know what you need. And sometimes people don't spend the time to actually ask themselves what they need. They don't really mm. f- sit and reflect. Okay, what's important to me right now? What, how am I feeling about the situation? Or how am I feeling about just my health? Or what's going on at work or at home? And you know, take a step back and, and reflect on it in a non-judgmental way, though. That's the thing. A lot of times we go and approach these things when we start looking in, you know, it's like we've got the gavel and the gown and we're going to start smacking things down. It's like, no, that's not how you want to approach it. You want to kind of go in and say, all right, what's going on in my life? Yeah. How do we, I agree with that, by the way, but how, how do we navigate? Well, here's, okay. Let me frame it this way, Michael. I've come to know, at least in my engagement, I, and I do a lot of networking and I do a lot of speaking. I, I mean, I've, I've interacted with, I, I've lost count, thousands and thousands of humans and mm-hmm. intimately hundreds and hundreds. And some common denominators that I've seen is that humans, we live with absolutes, right? It's like people communicate every day. She always, he never, like we use these terminologies and it's either zero or a hundred. We don't have, mm-hmm. we're not great at middle. Mm-hmm. And so how do, how do you navigate the, I've got to take care of me, but not turn into a narcissist. How do we focus on ourselves and carve out space, but not become selfish? How can we remain others focused and generous and giving while at the same time, not burn out? Yeah. Like big, big thing that I think a lot of people try to do and society does this. We're an instant society. We're used to getting things quickly. We're used to grabbing a remote, clicking a few things, hitting play, and all of a sudden the show starts on Netflix or 30 and 30 or whatever we happen to be watching. Um, We're used to that. We've been accustomed to that. And I think one of the things, real quick on the COVID-19 situation that's so frustrating for people is that it's not done. It should be done by now. This was quick. You know, two weeks, we'll we'll be behind this. No, it, that's not how this works. There are things in life that aren't clean, fit in a mm. box and go. And too often we try to compartmentalize things mm. instead of living life in a harmonious flow. Work-life balance does not exist. You can't balance. It's like trying to balance an egg. It, it's not going to happen unless it's a defective egg. Don't eat that egg. You know, it, <laughs> but it's, it just it doesn't. It's, there's going to be days where you're going to have a little more of this and a little less this. For me, what's helped me is to really understand, one, how I spend my time, what's important to me, what do I want to do, and do my best to kind of 
and you know, I said, don't silo things. But on the flip side of that is schedule things that make sense to partner up with. You know, if it's a work situation and you do kinds, different kinds of things at work, like for me, you know, in your situation too, you've got speaking, you've got podcasts, you've got working with people and all of that. If you know where your energy levels are when you're doing those things, you can kind of schedule things like, okay, I'm going to do podcast interviews on Thursdays. That way your brain knows it's Thursday. I know what I'm going to do. You get prepared. Everything's lined up and you just kind of flow through it. Um, If it's every day or it's in between these different tasks, it's going to throw you off, you know, using a sports analogy. It's like, okay, you're going to play linebacker, but you know what? Now you're going to play running back. Well, you're you got the ball and all of a sudden you're you're going to tackle somebody it's like no 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 you're not you're not supposed to you're supposed to run with it you're not supposed to but your brain's going well i i'm on the field that's so it's when you're trying to do different things together it, it can it can make things difficult that's why you see people struggle on certain things because they don't really understand how they flow like in my situation i tend to have my mornings booked with tasks and different things or reading or research or whatnot. Even case in point, last night, there was a couple articles I wanted to read and I got about a paragraph in and I could tell it's like, okay, brain's not computing this. I I see the words, but I'm not retaining anything of this. I say, I must be tired and this is not going to stick to me. So I I stopped and said, I'll look at that tomorrow because Mm -hmm. I knew that I wasn't going to retain anything. But again, uh, it's a self-awareness and it takes time. Because many of us, unfortunately, are not as self-aware as we need to be. So true. So true. We're talking with uh, Michael Levette. Um, he's, the, he's the founder. He's the CEO. He's all things uh, with the, with the breakfast, uh, breakfast Leadership Network here. And, uh, and he's our guest on Solutions from the Huddle. Quick break. On the other side of the break, Michael, though, I'm going to ask you to get us to, to fast forward, thanks for sharing and being so open and vulnerable about your journey. But but now I want to hear a little bit more about um, the Breakfast Leadership Company that you've got going on, and and a little bit more about the book, and and maybe what you're doing day to day, and how and what how and why folks need to connect with you, right? Um, because I know that what you're saying is resonating with our audience. Uh, here's our break, though. We just want to stop and say thank you to every brand, every company that sponsors the show, that believes in what we're doing. You know, imagine this, companies and brands, you know, we think that all they care about is profits, but some of them, many of them, probably most of them care about far more than that. They probably really do care about the communities that they serve. And I know for the brands and and logos that you'll find at team-csg.com, that's team-csg.com. When you click on the solutions from the huddle tab, you get to see the the brands that say, we really believe in personal development and professional growth. Like we love the idea of a podcast where thought leaders and experts like Michael come on and they share real tips that real people can actually put into action and then see results in their life. Imagine how that company may never get to enjoy the profits of you tuning in to listen to something like this, but they believe in it. So do us a favor. We wouldn't stand next to them if we didn't think they were worth standing next to. Go to team-csg.com, click on the solutions from the huddle tab and, uh, and get to know more about these companies. Uh, when you click on the logo, it takes you to their website and you'll find out why we wanted to stand next to them. Michael, the only, uh, the only brand that I really care a lot about right now is Breakfast Leadership Network. That's the brand that I care about because you're the guest on the show. Tell us a little bit about why you created that, what that business is, what kind of an impact it's making in the marketplace, and maybe maybe how our audience could participate. 
Thank you for that. Yeah, it's I don't want to say it happened accidentally, but it it kind of did. It started off with when I went back after my cardiac event and all that wonderful work, I went back into healthcare for a bit. My parents wanted to have me committed. They're like, you're crazy. (laughs) Why are you going back in the field? They basically almost killed you. And I said, I'm going to do it differently. And I did and was successful and worked on all kinds of different committees, improved healthcare and clinics and all that kind of good stuff. And as I was doing the work, I started, you know, of course, having more clarity because I wasn't stressed or burned out anymore. So I was approaching things and observing, you know, people in the sector. I'm like, why does everybody look like a zombie? Like, Mm. oh, they're burning out. I know what that's like. So I had this. Paul Revere kind of moment, you know, you know, you want to go yelling up and down the aisles at conferences saying the burnout is coming, the burnout is coming. <laughs> and, you know, some of them would listen, most wouldn't. And I get that because a lot of times people deny what's going on in their lives. So I thought, okay, yeah. I need to do something about this. So I started researching it and opened up that Pandora's box and, <laughs> and, and started, okay, well, let me start writing about this. So I started writing about it. I had a blog and I started doing some things and, one thing led to another. I thought, you know what, this this could actually be a business. You know, I could consult mm. people because I've you know worked with companies before and I've you know, done some things. Like maybe I should set up a business. So I did. I incorporated and then talked to a couple of friends of mine and podcasting. You know, they were uh, heavily into it, and they said, you know what, your content would actually be really good for this. Like. What? I don't want a podcast. You know, well, why do I want to do that? And I knew what podcasts were and I listened to a couple before, but I thought, well, I don't know if I want to do that. So I, I started and I just recorded, you know, a few a few episodes, just you know, five minute snippets about different things about burnout. And then after I did that, you know, they came back to me and said, Okay, that's good. I need to start interviewing people. I'm like, First and foremost, why in the world didn't you say that at the beginning? Because I would have said, absolutely not. I don't want to interview. I don't want to spend that time doing that. They said, no, just start interviewing people. And then, you know, several hundred interviews later, um, I absolutely love it. So I'm very thankful for Steve and the people that did that. But what happened with Breakfast Leadership is after, so I had the, started the writing started doing the podcast and then I went to a conference that I was invited to speak at and I hadn't spoke on stage and forever on anything quite frankly so uh, but I had done it in my past and you know corporate type of things here and there but I went down to Florida stayed at the JW Marriott like really nice place and I gave my talk on what I shared with you earlier it was the first time that I had publicly shared what happened to me Wow. And it was powerful. I thought, okay, well, there, there, and no more vulnerability than this. And you know, people ask me, you know, well, how in the world did you learn how to speak, and what you know, what, what motivated you to do that? And I said, chickenpox. And and people look at me like, what chickenpox? How in the world is chickenpox associated with public speaking? I was 21 years old in college, and I had to give a talk in my business writing course. And up to that point, I was deathly afraid of public speaking. Just, there was, I would get nervous and all of that. 21, my brother was 16 at the time. He got chicken pox. Now, how the two of us avoided getting chicken pox as kids, we don't know, but we did. He had them really bad. 
I had them everywhere but my feet. I'll let you do the imagination there. We're going to keep this rated G, but uh, it was not fun. So anyways, I go through the quarantine period. I call my professor and like, I got chicken pox. I can't come in and do the talk. And I said, well, let's you know, do it next week when, I, when I'm okay to. So I show up uh, to give my speech and I looked horrible. My face was still swollen, bumpy, red, just not a pleasant sight. And I walked in the class. The professor looked at me, got up, walked me out in the hallway. And they said, you know what? You don't have to do this. Um, I'll, I'll give you a C for a passing grade. You don't have to give the talk. And I said, I've been preparing for three weeks for this talk. Let me give it, please. So I did. And I gave my talk. And afterwards, I got a standing ovation. And I'm like, and I don't even remember what my speech was about. <laughs> But I asked, I'm like, why are you giving me a standing ovation? And they said, if you can get up in front of people looking like that mm. and give your talk, um, that's impressive. So yeah. from that point forward, that was when my fear of the stage died. Um, wow. Doesn't mean we don't get nervous. You know that. But, you know, sure. we're excited and all of that. But, you know, speaking in front of the audiences yeah. doesn't bug me. So once I started doing the, I did that talk. And I thought, okay, I need to put this in a book. So I wrote the 369 Days book that I released. And that led to being on shows. That led to speaking engagements. That led to more writing and writing for Thrive Global and Good Men Project and a variety of other entities and magazine interviews and media and all of that kind of stuff. And, it, and I was talking with a guy that runs the uh, one of the other um, networks on there. And he said, you've got the framework of a network here because you're doing different things. You're not, yes, you're speaking, you're doing coaching and consulting, you've, you're writing, you've got your show, you've got content that you're publishing. It's like block it into that. So it, that's how it was all birthed. Mm. Um, and as far as the name came around, it's one of those shower moments that we all have. Um, you know, I was trying to come up with a name for the company. I'm like, what am I going to call this? I'm like, well, Michael Levitt Consulting is about as boring as it gets. Um, that's not going to drive people. It's like, that's not going to go, huh, what's that about? Um, and, but Breakfast Leadership came to mind because one, leadership is so important, no matter what level in a company you're at. And breakfast is my favorite meal. So I thought, well, I might as well name the company something I like. So that's how, like the, two, that's how the two names came together got it trademarked and all the good stuff. And it's been a wild ride ever since. I love it. Hey, before we let any guest uh, off the program, the way that we like to land uh, the plane, so to speak, is one of my mentors. Um, I, I have a couple certifications, as I'm sure you have many. One of them is the, uh, the John Maxwell team. So going through the leadership, you know, it's a big deal. I, I I can quote all of his stuff. And mo most of us in this industry that believe in personal growth and, and development, we've read at least one of his 103 books. And uh, um, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn is, is just an epic book. So I love this sentence. So I try to ask our guests, at this point in the show, you've already provided some, some great insight and some strategy mm -hmm. around what to do based on the successes of your life and, 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 and maybe even some of the certifications and education, but I love to find out like, where did you screw up and you were vulnerable with some of your stories, but like what business thing did you do 
um, and you go, well, I'm not going to do it that way again, right? You, because <laughs> you did it, you learned, I, you know, some people want to call it the hard way, but sometimes I like to call it, I learned the only way that you potentially could have learned. You know, Ali said that I figured out how to beat Foreman after I got punched in the mouth <laughs> by him after the first, sometimes you got to get hit in the mouth. So I'm just wondering, is there one or two moments that you might want to share and say, man, I screwed the pooch on this one. I dropped the ball. I, I went left. I should have went right. And it's not that I'll never do it again. I'll just do it differently because of mm-hmm. that, that gut punch I took. Our audience, I, I always love to humanize the guests and say, is yeah. there a moment where you, you fell forward? Yeah, oh, definitely. And I love Dr. Maxwell. Yeah, his work is timeless. And, yeah. you know, it's, I see, oh, he's got a new book out. And I'm like, how? <laughs> but I know how because he, yeah, but he, right. it's because he has a system in place and that's it's right. prepared. Yeah. And, you know, he could literally, you could stick a recorder in front of him and probably 10 books could fly out in that, yeah. you know, interview. It's just, he's, he, he's amazing. But for me, I think, you know, in, especially in the entrepreneurial journey, there's always pressure to, okay, you got to sign up for this type of course, you got to do this. And not, I'm not making fun of Dr. Maxwell or anybody else out there that it provides things, but there's this I think it's a fear of missing out. It's like, okay, well, I need to sign up for this and I need to take this course and get this coaching and get these type of um, internet marketing things set up. And okay, I got to go with the best podcast host and I got to go this and this. And I spent way more money than I needed to. Mm. And then you know, I looked at it and I'm like, okay, this is really limiting my ability to do some other things that I want to do with this. So let's take a step and let's scale all the way back. Let's, you know, my counting brain kicked into play and go, okay, what can we do to do these things either more affordably right now and or stop doing them altogether? Mm. And that's, and it was an expensive lesson for me to learn but important because now, whenever I have anything that I'm going to be doing, I look at it and go, okay, what's my capacity from time? That's a big one. Okay, yeah. what's my capacity on you know the investment in this? Okay, what if I invest in this, what am I not going to invest in? Or what am I going to do for revenue generation in order to be able to invest in these things? And again, you have to do it clear-minded because... We we all get hit with the fear of missing out. If you don't, yeah. and we're we're bombarded with we're bombarded with it everywhere. Every yeah. commercial, um, even watching That's television good. shows, we're like, okay, I, you know, I well, wow, they're driving this car. Their life is better because because I'm driving this car, kind of yeah. thing. Like, mm, it's still a car, and gas is pricey, and electric uh, isn't widespread enough yet. And you know, all these things, there's all kinds of challenges, but at the end of the day, that that's probably one of the biggest lessons that I've learned in my post cardiac event entrepreneurial journey is I probably spent way too much trying to, I don't call it shortcut to the next step, but I thought, okay, if I do this, then I'll get there. Well, I've yeah. arrived where quite frankly, where I expected my organization to be at this particular point. But as we all know, it's definitely not a straight line. There's lots yeah. of twists and turns and kind of you know, go into the ditch a little bit and call AAA and have them tow you out and then away you go. Um, there's been a few of those things, but I look at it as like, okay, this is part of the lessons of life and running a business and in, your, in, in making sure that you take time to you know, reflect on that. Don't beat yourself up 
we're all learning when we're doing these things. And I think that's probably the biggest lesson that I've learned. Yeah, man, that, that falling forward, I screwed up. Here's what I learned. Really what I think you're saying there is um, having a greater appreciation for opportunity costs, like just understanding what I'm missing. And I agree with you, man, that fear of missing out or FOMO people like to use that term, man. I agree. I, I think that we're so caught up on, um, on, on what this is going to cost me or, or what I need to do next. And sometimes we just, we don't step back and go, wait a minute, what are the costs that are happening and that I'm not paying attention to? Right. Uh, wh- what a beautiful perspective. Uh, Michael, the, the founder of Breakfast Leadership, and, and folks can learn more just by going to breakfastleadership.com. It's a great website. Um, his new book, Burnout Proof, is one that you need to get, get your hands on. Um, Michael, is there any next step you want the listener to take? Is there a, a better website or better direction um, or, or some actionable item you want them to do if they want to continue the conversation with you? Yeah, reaching out to me at breakfastleadership.com or, you know, I'm on most of the social media channels, be fast leadership. So the letter B and then fast leadership. Do not put that on a license plate, by the way. <laughs> um, and especially if you have a red vehicle, yeah, that that's yeah. just that's heat score. You don't want to do that's that. That's right. I don't um, do that. <laughs> but you know, reach out to me. I'm on LinkedIn, you know, Twitter is tends to be the you know the two uh, places that I tend to frequent the most and happy to have a conversation with you and and help you or your team, you know, just you know, kind of I, I identify burnout if you think you burned out or uh, a variety of things that I know my book, you know, covers that uh, quite a bit. So appreciate yeah. uh, being on your show. I love it. Hey, I hope you in the future, maybe you'll come back. Yeah, definitely. Hey guys, Titus Bartolotta here with Collaborative Solutions Group. I just wanted to say thank you for listening to this episode of Solutions from the Huddle. If you want to hear more episodes and continue supporting our show, simply search for and subscribe to Solutions from the Huddle on any major podcast platform. Thank you again, and we hope you'll join us soon.